We're in the book of Titus. We have started a series last week. We finished from Titus chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. Allow me to read through from verse 5 onwards down to verse 9. And then we'll break it up and uh, look into how God would speak to us today. So Titus chapter 1 verse 5 onwards. This is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. As you can see from the passage, it's a list of the qualifications for what, uh, what you need to be an elder. What Paul would tell Titus uh, an elder should look like, should be like. And, and that's the whole purpose he's left Titus there, is to do two things, is to put into order what remains and to appoint elders over that order. And he goes on and he gives out this list and he's got five things that, that you find in this passage, five things that should not be there in an elder or an elder should not be like and eight things that he tells you about the elder. There's a comma between one, so maybe nine things about the elder that should be there. Five things and nine things. And if you do the math, you've got 14 points in today's sermon, right? So get ready. Nah, it's not going to be a long one. Don't worry. It's 14 points and we're going to look at it because they're very self-explanatory. There's not uh, too much explanation needed on any of the points. But we're going to go through them and then we're going to make application to us. Because you could very easily switch off this morning and say, Oh, elder, I'm not an elder. I don't ever plan to be one, right? And you could switch off and think next week I'll listen in on what happens next. But it's very actually very relevant to each of us. So let's go through this. You'll find the five things that an elder should not be in verse 7. Verse 7, he begins by saying, an overseer or, uh, For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. And then he says, he must not be arrogant. The first thing that he shouldn't be is arrogant. And that makes sense. You don't want an elder who's proud, who's full of himself. Because the elder is an office, it's a, it's a leader in the church. The word in Greek for elder is presbyteros, from which you can translate as elder, you can translate as bishop. So basically, these are the shepherds of the congregation, the one that are going to shepherd the congregation to be like Christ. If you get an arrogant elder, you have somebody who says, you know, we're going to do it this way. Why? Because I said so. That's it. You don't want those kind of people as elders. That's what Paul is telling Titus. You're a, you, I've left you there to put elders in place. Don't pick the arrogant, proud, prideful guys. Because the gospel of Jesus is such that it humbles us. If you are full of pride and arrogant and, and, and conceit, then you've not understood the gospel. You can't be an elder. So he cannot be arrogant. He can't be quick-tempered. He shouldn't be somebody who is quick-tempered, flies off the handle easily. Not somebody that you're, you, know, you walk around tiptoes because you never know. Today he might be in a bad mood. Today he might just lash out verbally. Today he might just, just, just you know, tiptoe around the guy. You don't want elders that are quick-tempered, quick to get angry and lose control of themselves. You find the next one. It says he shouldn't be a drunkard. 
He shouldn't be a drunkard. If you've got the King James Version, it will say, shouldn't be given to much wine. Now we know that Paul, as opposed to many Indian churches, Paul didn't have a problem with alcohol. In fact, he tells Timothy to drink a little wine for his own health's sake. But Paul writes a lot about drunkenness. He's, he writes a lot to say, do not be drunk. And he says, elders of the church should not be drunkards. They should not be people who you're like, ah, yeah, but we're never sure whether he, you know, when did he say it? Was there a bottle in his hand? This guy, you, you just, if you catch him outside the elder meeting, you don't know, he might be, you know, he's a bit of a drinker. Not that. He says, not a drunkard. He shouldn't be violent, number four. Shouldn't be a violent man. Shouldn't be known as somebody who not just uh, flies into fits of rage, but is violent. Comes to blows. The, the, the word in the Greek translates as someone who just, you know, waiting to throw a punch. That's kind of the idea behind the word over there. He's waiting to throw a punch. We have our elders meeting next Saturday. If you were to walk in and you saw one of our elders grab the other guy by the throat and about to swing, it's not very elder. That's not becoming of an elder. Not violent. Not violent. Not greedy for gain, number five. Not somebody who's desperately trying to gain. Every, everything he does, the first question he asks is, what's in it for me? What do I gain out of this financially? Uh, whatever other kind of things I gain, what do I get out of it? How can I get the most out of it? Will someone get hurt? I don't know, but how can I get the most? Greedy for gain. Now again, Paul doesn't have anything against rich people. He's not saying someone with money can't be an elder. No, he's saying somebody who's obsessed with gain. Someone who's just waiting to get more, get more, get more. His only question in his life is how can I get more? That person, he says, can't be an elder. <coughs> so five things, I told you it's going to go fast. Five things that he cannot be, that should not be there in an elder. He cannot be arrogant. He cannot be quick-tempered, quick to get angry. He cannot be a drunkard. He cannot be violent. And he cannot be greedy for gain. Those are things that should not be in an elder's character. But then you find nine things that should be there. Nine things that he tells you in the positive. That you want to find in the elders of the church. Verse 6 and verse 7 both begin with the same, uh, with the same idea. He should be above reproach. He should be above reproach. The Greek word, aenkletos, means blameless. Blameless before God. Now, is Paul saying that elders are sinless? Paul himself writes and says, I struggle. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I land up doing. Paul talks about that. Peter, this great man of God, had to be rebuked by Paul at one point. Paul tells us in Galatia, Peter was showing partiality and Paul had to re rebuke him. And so you know that there's no weird idea in Paul's mind that an elder of the church, a leader of the church is someone who has no sin left in his life. He's nothing. He never makes a mistake. But the idea of blamelessness is it, it carries with it this idea of someone who keeps short accounts with God. Someone who's quick to get right with God. Somebody who's quick to say, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. You want elders like that because if the elder makes a wrong decision or there's something that you point out in their life, they should be someone who doesn't say, no, but you don't know, brother, you don't understand. If you were me, you would, no, no. Someone who will be like, I'm sorry. And will go to God 
Someone who if you could find audience with God and you said, God, I think there's something wrong in this man's life. God would be able to look at you and say, yeah, I know he's talked to me about it. We've, we worked it out. He's come to me and we pray, he's prayed and, and I've forgiven him and it's done. Blameless before God. Then he goes on to talk about his family life. Verse 6. Talks about his home life. He says a husband of one wife. Now it doesn't just mean that you got married once and you know that's it. But the idea in it is that he's faithful. He's a man who, who showcases faithfulness to his wife. He loves his wife. He's faithful to his wife. A husband of one wife. And he talks about his children and he says his children are believers. Now the word over there for believers is the word pistos which can be translated as trustworthy. That's another translation of the word. And I prefer that actually to believers. Because mat the, the, the matter of belief of your child's heart is not something you control. I can't force my children to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. That is between their heart and God and God's will over their life. But I can create an ambience and a house and an, and an environment where they grow up as children who are trustworthy. People who are of good character and good repute. I can grow them up in that way. I can grow them up in a home that celebrates the gospel in the hope that they will respond to it. I can grow them up in that kind of an environment. I cannot force them to adopt my faith. That is their choice. But I can grow, grow them up in an environment that celebrates my faith. I can grow them up in an environment that sees Jesus as the bedrock of the home. And, and, and what Paul is telling Titus is when you look at this person's home life, it should be in order. When he writes to Timothy in Timothy in 1 Timothy, he, when he tells Timothy a list of qualifications for elders there as well, he says, because if he can't control his own home, if he cannot shepherd his own home, how is he going to shepherd the church? If he cannot take care of that little flock that God has given him, how will he control and how will he shepherd and bring to maturity the bigger flock as an elder? And so Paul would direct their attention to the home and say it's there. But more than just the, the logical argument of if he can't shepherd that, how will he shepherd this? The important thing about an elder's home, why is it so important to have a home that is, that is like this? Is because when you drop down to verse 8, because in verse 7 he goes into all the do nots. And when he picks up the do's again, the very first thing is be hospitable. He should be someone who shows hospitality, offers hospitality, has people in his home. Now you tell me, if your home life is a mess, if your home life is in shambles, if you don't know when your kid's going to walk in the door and what, he's going, what and who he's going to have in his hand, you have no idea what kind of behavior to expect and your wife and you are at loggerheads with each other. You're not going to have too many people at home. Sure, you'll meet them at Starbucks. You'll meet them at Dunkin' Donuts. You'll meet them at, you know, different other places. Come to my office. It's quieter. But not at home. Not at home. Do you know that? I, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm the only sinful person here, but there are times when my wife and I, we get into a little bit of an argument before I leave for office and, you know, there's not enough time to sort it out. And somehow just God's sense of humor in the day, somebody will message me and say, Pastor, can we come home this evening? I don't know what I'm going back to home that evening, right? Because we've not yet sorted out the debate. And I'll be like, no, oh, brother, today is not a good day. Don't have to give too much information. Don't, you know, 
TMI kind of deal. Don't have to tell them the whole thing about just tomorrow evening works better. Because I'm not sure whether, you know, this is this argument going to linger on for a while. Are we going to take a long time to sort it out? You don't want people home when home is not safe. And so he says, sort your home life out because you've got to show hospitality. You've got to be people who invite people home. You've got to be hospitable. A lover of good. He goes on to say, now not, you know, Although I would love to interpret it as a lover of good and, you know, I can interpret it good in many ways in certain dishes that you get at Saftajang and other places. But good according to God, the things that bring pleasure to God's heart, the, thing that, the things that bring joy to God's heart. The elder is supposed to be someone who loves good, who loves things that bring God joy. He's supposed to be self-controlled and this is basically all the do-nots, the opposite of them. Self-controlled. He's able to manage himself, control himself. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't get drunk. He doesn't do this, doesn't do that. He's controlled. He's a controlled person. He knows how to control himself. Upright. Walking righteously before God, keeping short accounts. So you, 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 all the things you got wrong, you get right with God, you, you repent. But then you're walking upright, you're doing all the things that God wants you to do. Holy, you're set apart for God in your mind. You know that I belong to God and so I take my marching orders from God. That was last week's sermon. If you missed it, you can look, look it up online. But I'm holy and disciplined. You're a man of discipline, somebody who... Is, and it's not just discipline because he gets up in the morning and does a jog, you know, a 5k jog or whatever, or he's got a very ordered, structured day. No, that's not the discipline. He's talking in the context of righteousness and holiness, that you've got godly disciplines in place that are maturing you in the image of Christ. He's disciplined. Verse 9, the last thing. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He must be a man of the word. If you're going to be an elder, you must be a man of the word. Why? Because he tells you two things that the elders are going to have to do. One, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. He'd be able to teach, whether it's from a pulpit, whether it's in a Bible study, whether it's in discipleship, whether it's in counseling. He'll be able to teach sound doctrine, correct theology to the members of his community. Secondly, he'll be able to rebuke those who contradict, those that come against and teach false doctrines, those that teach wrong theology. The elder will be able to say, no, that's wrong. That's not right. You need to be quiet because that's not what it says in scripture. Let me tell you what it says in scripture and then teach in sound doctrine. But to be able to do that, you have to be a man of the word. You can't do that otherwise. But how is this all relevant to us? Because for the most part, none of you are elders. And most of you don't ever think of being one. So how is it relevant to us? It is very relevant to us. One, on a community level. And two, on a personal level. This list is very relevant to us. On a community level, it's very important to understand that the early church model never had a one-man show model. 
It was never about a one-man show. Paul writes to Titus, he says, bring to order all that remains. So put everything in order. And the rest of the letter tells you how Titus is supposed to put it all in order. But then he says, appoint elders, appoint leadership that governs this structure, that moves this structure. And like I told you last week, the entire letter, if it was to be summarized, is about bringing the church to maturity. And so if you want to mature a community of God, you want to move a community of God towards maturity, it begins with godly leadership. You have to have godly leadership. Not, and please don't hear what I'm not saying, not a godly leader, but godly leadership. The world has sacrificed that plurality of leadership model today for one-man shows, for this one hero on a pedestal kind of communities. But that's not the early church model. Wherever Titus went, you, uh, Paul went, you find elders. He would appoint elders in the local place. When he leaves Ephesus, there's a local body of eldership that weeps with him and cries with him and prays with him. Everywhere, there's a plurality. There's elders that come together to shepherd the church. And so even here at DBF, we take that seriously. We take it seriously. We celebrate the leaders that we have, the elders that God has given us. But there's not a one-man show model. Pastor Manav and I, we, we, it's not like we call everybody, you know, all the elders for every little decision in the church. There are many day-to-day -day things that we do for the Hindi church and the English church respectively. But, uh, but we've got a little WhatsApp group with our elders. And I tell you, it's such a safe place for all the things that pertain to maturity and growth and the health of the church. It goes on the group. Brothers, what do you think? What do you think about this? And so before you hear announcements over here, men's fellowship is organizing this, women's thing is doing this, this one is doing that. It goes on that group. This is what's coming up. Do you think we should do it? What? How can we do it better? Sometimes it gets shot down. Sometimes it gets accentuated. More things get added to it. But it's such a safe place. Because the, 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 the bottom line in that group is all the people in that group are desperately committed to the maturity of the community. That is the heart cry of the leadership. And that is what Paul is telling Titus. Put in place those kind of people. That's why they can't be about themselves. That's why they cannot be arrogant. That's why they need to be able to teach the word. That's why they need to be given to hospitality, to opening their life and lives and homes to others to say, come in, come on, let's walk with Jesus. For a church to mature, for a community to mature, you need godly leadership. It, it's just there. That's the recipe. You need to put in order, you need to put some kind of structure to it, but a godly leadership that will use that model to bring maturity in the church. But even on an individual level, this passage is very pertinent to you. Because if you read through this list, what Paul is not saying to you is this. He's not saying, brothers and sisters, find the six guys that live up to this list, make them elders, and then you guys carry on. That's not what he's saying. Because the call and the expectation, the standards that you find in this passage is actually God's standard for you as well. He's not saying the elders should not be violent, but you, it's okay, you're not an elder, so you can throw a punch every now and then. He's not saying the elders should not be drunk, but you can do it, that's fine, no worries. He's not saying the elders have to be hospitable, but you, you know, you can tell people to scram anytime you want. He's not saying the elders have to be men of the word, but you can forget where your Bible was. 
That's not what he's saying. The standard set here is the standard of maturity for every single believer. And so what you realize is then that the elders are merely the role models for the community. Paul is not telling Titus to create an elitist group of elders that now, oh, they're elders. Put them on the pedestal. This elite group of people that nobody can be part of. And they vote who can be part. No, they, if the elders do their job, if the elders live out the life that God has asked them to live out and to be role models, then the church will have a very unique problem. The church will have the problem of who do I make an elder? Because everybody is living up to this model. Everybody is doing this. It's a very good problem. The, the opposite is what happens now in churches very often. We still have the problem, who should I make an elder? But it's because of this. If I ask this brother, na, that one will turn five people against me. Because he also wanted to be. And then that one will get upset and that one's wife has been you know, trying to find out how to take me out of church from long. That's the problem we have right now. But if the elders would live up, and I submit to you, you've got amazing elders here at DBF Central. Elders who live up to this model. But as the elders do that, and that's Paul's desire when he writes to Titus, as they do that, the whole community is shown the example that this life, it's a very high standard, that this life is possible and the elders will tell you how they did it. How it is possible. They will be able to look at the church and say, follow me even as I follow Christ. That is the office of an elder. Not that I'm an elder, elder for life, that's it. And I think DBF got it right with that. Because DBF has a stipulation on eldership. You can be an elder for three years. And then if the congregation you know, says, great, do it again, you can be an elder for three more years. But after that, you cannot be. You have to step, mandatory, you cannot be an elder. After six years, you have to step down. And... If after six years the church is struggling to say then who should we make, then your elder should not have been an elder in the first place. Because if he doesn't in six years, if he can't raise more people to take his place by being a role model, you've got a problem. He's not an elder. He's not lived up and showcased that the life that God expects from the church and his people is possible. A life that is controlled. A life that doesn't just chase after sensual pleasures. A life that doesn't just ask all the time, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? A life that puts Christ first. A life that is not just putting Christ first on Sunday morning, but a life where, hey, come home anytime in the week. Come home anytime in the week. You'll find Jesus at my home. Sure, maybe my children are not believers, but you'll find a home where Jesus is still God. You'll find a home where my children are still respectful. Sure, we're not all put together. It's not that my wife and I never have a fight. No, but you'll find a home where Jesus is the peace that breaks down any wall. The tiniest argument. Hey, come home. Come to my office space. Come hang out with me here with my other friends that have not yet made it to church. I'm trying to bring them, but you know, come and hang out with this bunch that, you know, that I hang out with. And you'll see I'm the same man. That's the standard that God calls us to live up to. And the elders merely showcase it and mentor and, and shepherd the church in a way that brings the entire church 
to the same place of maturity. And so my call to you is this. You might never be an elder. Maybe God might never want you to be an elder. That's not what he has in store for you. But definitely you can live the life. You can live the life and make it hard on your pastor. You can live the life that, you know, just forces your name into the radar. Even if you never want to be an elder. But to live a life that says, God, I want to live an upright, holy life. Someone of the word. Someone who's disciplined. Someone who loves good. Someone who's hospitable. Someone whose family relationships are all, maybe you're not married, but your family relationships are all in order. It's not violent at home. Someone who's not greedy for gain. God, that, I want that to be me. I don't want to just keep putting other people up on pedestals and saying, wow, they did it great. It's never going to be me. Lord, I also want to go there. I also want to get there. Not because I want the office, because then I become the person saying, who pick me, pick me, that we're supposed to be careful of. Arrogant, right? Shouldn't be an elder. Not because I want the office of an elder, but because I want the life of one. I want the reputation of one. I want that walk with God that is showcased in this list. And so even though it's about elders, this passage, it really is about you, me, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. It is a call to live that life. And the elders model it for the church. But the expectation is on all. The expectation is on all. That's why by chapter 2, Paul would tell Titus, tell the older men, not elders, older men to teach the younger men. Tell the older women to teach the younger women. Because everybody's got to grow. Everybody should come to this list, to this place of maturity, where you can say with a clear heart and a clear conscience, Lord, I'm walking with you. I'm walking with you. Blameless, upright, holy, set apart, for you and for your mission in my time. So what's stopping you from that? Have you settled for spiritual infancy because it feels nice? Have you settled for spiritual mediocrity because nobody pushed you further? Today, in the presence of God, come before him. Let the spirit of God poke you and prompt you if you've settled for spiritual infancy or mediocrity somewhere. And ask God, God, what needs to happen in my life for me to move to the next level of maturity? What needs to happen in my, what needs to get thrown out of my life? What needs to get put into my life so that I can move to that next level of maturity? God, I don't want to stagnate. Sure, I might never be an elder, but God, I want to live the life of one anyway. Would you bow in prayer? Father, what a list of character traits this is. And we thank you, Father, not just for the elders here at DBF Central, but over the history of the church, the men that you have placed, the people that you have placed, Lord God, that showcase to us that this life is possible. That it is possible to walk humbly and righteously before our God. And God, I pray for every heart that is reaching out to you today and saying, God, I want to grow to the next level. God, I've stagnated. Maybe God, I've backslidden. But I want to get up 
and i want to move to that next level of maturity i want to grow in my faith oh god for every heart that is reaching out to you and saying that father i pray that you would give them the discernment the wisdom the strength that it would take to throw out of their life what is getting in the way and to put into their life what needs to what needs to be there to move them on in spiritual maturity father help us not to be people that get happy with spiritual infancy because it's comfortable help us not to get happy with spiritual mediocrity because by some definition we're better than somebody else father help us to constantly yearn to grow mature in you and even as we do that as a community as we do that father we pray that the elders that you bring to this community that you would raise continuously raise elders that would continue to spur and push this church community onwards towards that point where we all are mature in Christ. Thank you father that this design and this model and this structure is birthed in you and your heart and your mind and revealed to your church. But for us to even begin to move towards maturity father we need to have a desire for it. So I pray that you would put in our heart a deep desire for maturity. A dissatisfaction, a godly dissatisfaction with where we are so that we would constantly grow in you from one level of glory to the next, from one level of maturity to the next. Not so that people would look at us and clap, but so that people would come and ask and we can always point them to you, the God who makes it possible. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each of us through this week and even forevermore. Amen.